Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network radio mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And by the way, if you want to provide a little feedback, you can go on VeritasCatholic.com. There's an area on there where you could talk about our programming. Tell us if you love it. Tell us if you hate it. Anywhere in between, we'd obviously welcome that. And finally, follow Joe and I, if you don't mind, on social media at The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Jason Simon. And we're going to be talking about the evangelical Catholic. Two words that don't always go together, it seems, in our in our popular culture. The evangelical Catholic. Usually nowadays, those two are separate. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about, because as Catholics, we are supposed to, we are the original evangelizers. We are the original evangelicals. And we need to get back to what Joe Resinello calls the ABCs of the faith. And evangelism is one of them. Now, some of you out there uh, may be familiar with Jason, but just in case you are not, uh, Jason Simon is the president of the Evangelical Catholic. After working briefly in engineering, he, be he began working in the church as a parish director of religious education and youth ministry. Through his work, he saw the power of evangelization in the church and his passion to see more lives impacted by the Holy Spirit. In 2007, he graduated uh, from the theology program at the University of Notre Dame and began leading the Evangelical Catholic. And under his leadership, that organization has experienced consistent expansion by equipping local Catholic leaders to not only be disciples, but disciple makers. And that's, again, what we're going to be talking about today. Jason lives in Madison, Wisconsin, with his wife and six children. Jason Simon, welcome to the front line with Joe hey. and Joe. Thank you. Great to be here. Jason, we always begin with prayer because God knows I need prayers particularly. <laughs> in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Jason, one of the themes of our show is to get out of the boat. It's what we try to encourage people. That's where we bear the most fruit, to get out of the boat. And you did. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. You're an engineer. You're clearly a gifted person. You walked away from that. We talked to a lot of people. And frankly, that isn't always a common theme, but it clearly we've seen it. How does that happen? How did you make that decision? I mean, let's be honest. A lot of hard work to become an engineer, you know, and then just to say, I'm not going to do it. I mean, you're like me. You have six kids. I got five. <laughs> Diapers cost money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, right. let's be real. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you did it. And, and frankly, kudos to you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your journey. I think it'll encourage people. Well, in college, I was uh, I was reached. Uh, I was I was lost in some uh, a Disciple of Jesus reached out and, and grabbed me and walked with me out of darkness into the light of Jesus. I experienced the freedom of Jesus. Uh, he not only taught me to be a disciple, but also a disciple maker. And I became uh, very zealous for the Lord on campus. And I was leading small groups and meeting one-on-one -on -one with guys. And I saw a lot of guys like me come out of darkness into the light of Jesus. I loved it. I love being part of uh, the mission of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. 
and doing it on campus. Uh, so when I graduated and uh, became an engineer, I had in my mind that I would work for 10 years or so, pay off my loans, and find a way to get back into full-time ministry. So I kind of had that in my head. I was a Protestant at the time. And so um, I had in my head, maybe I would I would join um, a parachurch group on campus somewhere like I was a part of and uh, leave engineering behind and just dive in and serve the Lord again. Uh, but um, I married a Catholic woman. Uh, a year into our marriage, I became Catholic. And I was I was an engineer at the time. And uh, a year after becoming Catholic, a priest came to me and he said, hey, I heard you're looking for other engineering jobs. And I'm wondering if you'd give us a shot and come work at our parish. And I said, Father, I have no Catholic theology background. All I know is what I've learned as a Protestant, what I've studied as a Catholic. And I don't think you can pay me enough to afford me. I just bought a house and, and I'm about ready to start a family. And he said, well, give me a shot. And so we went out to eat and he shared with me the vision of uh, John Paul II evangelization. I had read, I had read Redemptoris Missio by John Paul II. I had read Evangelii Nuntiandi by Paul VI, and I loved those documents. And he shared with me even more um, about about the vision of a parish in terms of um, launching evangelists into the community. And I love this vision. I was I was fired up. I went to World Youth Day in 2000, uh, and a priest. Uh, laid his hands on me and blessed me there. And when he did that, uh, I just had this uh, clarity that the Lord was calling me to leave my job and to uh, take this job with this this priest in the parish. And so, um, yeah, it was hard because I, I grew up um, I grew up not with not a lot of means. I was looking forward to having means. I was looking I, I was looking for, I was in a, a great kind of startup company with 400 people at the time. Uh, and I, I'd be able to buy into it eventually. Now that company has, I think, 12,000 people and uh, it's still private and I could have been a part, you know, small owner, uh, you know, so I, I saw the track that I was on and it was, it was a lucrative uh, track. It was a good track from the world standpoint, but I just, I, I, like I said, I got a taste for it uh, the, of the Great Commission in college. And when that priest laid his hand on me in Rome, uh, it just really became clear that that the Lord didn't want me to wait 10 years and he was going to take care of me and, and take care of our loans. Uh, and so I jumped and uh, and I loved it. 50, 50 hours a week as an engineer felt like a lot. Uh, 50 hours a week working at the parish felt like nothing. It just it just whizzed by. I, as, as you just read in my bio, I, I saw the power of the Holy Spirit rescue uh, teens from uh, deep struggles and, and darkness, uh, and and it cost it cost a lot those years, uh, but it was it was beautiful to walk walk with them in their brokenness and and into the light of Jesus. So I never regretted it, and He's always taking care of us. Amen. Jason Simon is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosinello in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're discussing Jason's organization, the Evangelical Catholic. It's funny. We say on the show all the time, it's probably the hardest thing to do in all of scripture is to is to put down the, you know, those things that that eventually will perish. Um, and and you know, to to sell everything and buy the field with the with the pearl of great price. Um, very, very difficult. So we all we're all called to do it. You know, and and God bless you, brother. You know, you, you know, you did it, Joe Rosinello. Obviously, you know, you were a Protestant, um, and now you're Catholic. There has to be some Protestant influences. We've we've spoken with a lot of folks from the St. Paul Center in Steubenville. John Bergsma comes to mind, uh, yeah. who brings some of his gifts of of Scripture to his Catholicism. What are some of the influences that you're bringing from that tradition? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, what I experienced as a Protestant was a, was a very um, methodical way of sharing the gospel and accompanying people step by step into more and more maturity as a disciple. And so when I came into the Catholic Church, I brought that with me for sure. Um, I had I had shared the gospel with someone uh, in college with with 
with a few guys and they said yes to Jesus. And then I walked them step by step into a love for scripture and a love for prayer and a love for Jesus and a love for virtue. And, you know, after, and after a while, uh, you train them in how to make disciples themselves and they go out and start sharing the gospel. And so that methodical approach, definitely I, I brought with me into Catholicism. I wasn't, I had not seen that methodical approach in anything that I had read in the Catholic church until I was in grad school, and I read, the, I read the General Directory for Catechesis, which is the worst title that anyone's ever given any book, <laughs> but it is an awesome document from the church uh, written to uh, put flesh on the bones of Evangelii Nuntiandi from Paul VI, and it's, it's a spectacular document. It's still probably my favorite one. It's, it's really a book. It's a long document, uh, but they they have in that in that uh, document a section called the process of evangelization, and they're recovering the tradition of evangelization in the church uh, from all the great evangelists of history, uh, and and they break it down into a process uh, that looks very similar to what I learned as a Protestant, but it has it has more ancient roots. Uh, and so, uh, what you said in your introduction, uh, Joe, I I think is is apt. It's, it's absolutely true that uh, the Protestants, a lot of times, are just embodying pieces of Catholic tradition better than Catholics. And that's what I learned as a Protestant, and I was delighted to see it in the Catholic Church. It did help me shift my language uh, to a more Catholic language that was more easily accessible uh, by priests and by, by leaders within the Catholic Church. Um, and I spent a lot of time working on that in grad school, but, um, but yeah, I brought that conviction and that experience of a methodical approach, uh, but it was in the Catholic church. It's just not, it's not incarnated much in the Catholic church. So it's, it's, it's hard to, to grab hold of it. Um, and that's something that we're trying to change. Well, I'll tell yeah. you the thing that when I was doing research on, on this, uh, you know, basically your organization for this interview, one of the things that jumped out at me that I think is unique, and I just want to bring that up because I think it's spot on and it's something I've always said, God is looking for followers. Yes. Christ is not looking for believers. I believe in Jesus. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. A disciple means you're a follower. That's who Jesus wants us to be. Follow me. That's what he said yes. to, to Andrew and Peter. Follow me. He didn't say believe in me. He yeah. said, follow me. Yeah. And disciple makers change the world. Yes. They do because they follow Christ. Their life models that of Jesus. Talk about that difference, because I have a little experience in the Protestant world. A friend of mine left the Catholic Church, and he asked me to come to a Bible study. I was pretty grounded in my faith, and my objective was to squash the misconceptions yeah. that Protestants have of Catholics because they're so vast. Yes. And I and I and I would have discussions with people there. And I think there's a big difference between a believer and a follower. Talk about that difference because I think that's the game changer. And I love the language in your organization. We're making disciples. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so disciples, what we always say is a disciple is a, is a thick word. Uh, believe, believer is a relatively thin word. A believer had an experience of Jesus, which is beautiful. Or they, they received faith from a family member, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, um, and they believe. And uh, belief, belief gets you somewhere, but uh, uh, it's, it's relatively thin and it can be, it can be, it's like the seed on shallow soil. It can be plucked uh, and the birds of the air come and they, and they pluck it. Uh, but a disciple is, is planted deep. Jesus says, whoever wishes to be my disciple must take up his cross, deny himself daily and follow me. And, and Actually, I think it's deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Uh, this th that's thick um, to to help someone come to the point where they, uh, for love of Jesus, want to deny themselves uh, to have a father, a husband, uh, a worker, you know, uh, an employee in a company, a teacher, a, a coach, uh, looking in their service to the community, in their love to deny themselves. That it's not all about their fulfilling their own pleasure, they're having their preference. Um, take the take the the least seat 
at the table. Uh, lay down your life for your brother. Uh, give your life for your friend. So the, the idea of denial, self-denial, and taking up your cross uh, to be crucified with Christ, as St. Paul says, uh, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is a disciple. And, and the only way you do it is if you know yourself to be completely dependent on Jesus, that you are, you are lost without Jesus. Then, then having Jesus is worth my whole life. Then I will, I have counted the cost and I will give my whole life to Jesus. I will deny myself so that other people can experience Jesus in me. So that's, that's what a disciple does, take up his cross. And then later in that passage in Luke 9, 23, I think it's probably uh, verse 24, he says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so, um, so yeah, you're, you're right. The, the believer um, has not really put a stake in the ground yet. A, be a believer, though, uh, can be made a disciple, but they have to be made a disciple. Otherwise, um, the general director for catechesis actually says, if we do not, if we do not um, take people through the period of initiatory catechesis, where you establish them as a disciple, the the whole foundation could crumble uh, because of because of the temptations and the worries of the world. That's the way it puts it. You have to establish a believer into a disciple. Otherwise, uh, a believer will start thinking and, and the evil one will start tempting them with thoughts of, uh, well, that was just a mind trick that someone played on you. That wasn't really a real thing. I mean, these, these experiences that make a believer kind of um, fade away. And then, and then the birds of the air can come and pluck the seed. So yeah, it is in, it's essential that we make disciples not just make believers. And that's why when a parish or a campus ministry has a retreat, it's awesome, you know, like a, a koinonia retreat or, um, or a, um, a cursio retreat, you know, and, and uh, men and women have these experiences of community and love for Jesus. Uh, it can't stop there. And, and that's what I love about the cursio movement and others. You know, they keep, they keep meeting uh, after that once a week. You have to. And even better is if you had disciple makers already trained in a community that could meet one on one with everybody who went on that retreat and establish them as disciples. Uh, that that's ideal. And it, it has to happen. Uh, it's essential. But it, it's uh, we, we don't have enough disciple makers in the church usually to do that kind of follow up. Right. And and, and that's a shame. Because, like you said, that I mean, that's what we, that's what we're all called to do. Yes. If everybody used the gifts that God gave them as faithful Catholics and got out there in the public square, Joe and I, our gift is God gave us both big mouths. That's it. <laughs> but we use it. We use our reason and intelligence, the gifts that we all have. Okay. But then we have big mouths, and we like to speak the truth, and we like to we like to talk because we're a couple of Italian guys from Jersey. But we're out there. We're preaching the truth. If every Catholic. And this is not to be judgmental. If every faithful Catholic used their gifts instead of complaining about what's wrong in the world and using their gifts to actually get, like Joe said, out of the boat and describe what you're describing, Jason Simon, at the front line with Joe and Joe, all right, the evangelical Catholic joining us here, okay, we would change the world. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to wait till November of 2024 to do it. Right. You start changing it, you start changing it today. Yeah. That's what our emphasis has to be. Because guess what? Joe says on the show all the time, only saints change the world. Vladimir Lenin famously said, if I had 10 men like Francis of Assisi, I would have changed the world. Why? Because Francis of Assisi embodied what you were describing, Jason Simon. Your comments on that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the way my life was changed is a man met with me weekly, bought me lunches weekly for two years. And took me from being a struggling disciple. Uh, I, I had I had some familiarity with the way of discipleship, but I couldn't walk in it. He took me from that to two years later, I was making disciples. And it, but it took two years of investing in me like that. Uh, and and that is that is the that is the uh, the patience that the Lord has. Um, and that's that, but also the accessibility that's there for, for everyone. Uh, the Lord is not calling uh, lay people, Catholic lay people to be Billy Grahams and to eventually build up a preaching ministry and be preaching to stadiums full of people. The Lord is calling his people one by one 
to love somebody enough in their life, at their workplace, in their neighborhood, in their family, to love someone enough to invest in them for a year, for two years, and be proactive with them and lead them into solid discipleship and eventually into the ability to have their own personal apostolate in their life, which is the call that all of us have to have our own personal mission, our own personal apostolate, where we're making disciples. We're all called to be part of the Great Commission. We're not doing it as a Catholic church because we just we just don't know how. And I think I think we're at a season where there are movements bubbling up in the church. There's ours, but there's others as well great organizations, great pastors, great bishops starting to call for this. And it's it's going to start happening more and more. And I totally agree with you. This is the way to change the world. Uh, and every Catholic can do it. And it'll bring great joy to their faith to do it. But right now, they, they've never seen it. So they, they just have no idea how to step into that that kind of impact. Absolutely. Um, there. A- absolutely. And I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Uh, my new bishop, who was not my bishop when I was living in New Jersey, but my new bishop, Bishop Olmstead, did just that four years ago. He said, men, get into the breach. Mm. He said it. We, we're, Joe and I, you know, we, we've read our Shakespeare. We know where the line comes from. But the fact is, you know, but a good prelate, a good shepherd, he said, men, get into the breach and put it out there. And 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 I, that's, what, that's, that's what we all need to be doing along the lines of what you just said. You're joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Jason Simon from the Evangelical Catholic, making disciples for Jesus Christ, okay? Not believers, disciples. Joe Resinello. Let's talk about the organization itself. Um, how are we forming these leaders? Um, clearly, a leader, you know, it's somebody who has a gift. Um, how are we identifying them? And then how are we forming them? Yeah, so um, we, we find a lot of inspiration in the way Jesus did this. Um, and other saints as well, but I'll just start with Jesus. And, and you think about Jesus in uh, ancient Mesopotamia and, and um, in, in that region of Galilee. And, and he's there and he feels called, uh, he's called by the Lord and, and commissioned by the Lord to, to, to go and preach the good news. And he wants the whole world to, to, to hear it. I mean, eventually he says, go to the ends of the world. Uh, St. Paul says that um, Jesus came to the world to reconcile the world to the Father. And so Jesus had a vision of the whole world eventually knowing the good news. He wanted a whole world full of disciples. Uh, and he's got three years. And it's just, it's fascinating that uh, Jesus doesn't spend time uh, doing things to attract the whole world. And he really could have, he could have done cosmic wonders. He could have done miracles that that the whole world heard about. He could have, he could have bilocated, you know, eventually he has saints bilocating. He could have done that when he was on earth. He could have bilocated in North America, South America. He could have, he could have been all over the place and done all kinds of things to reach the whole world. But though his, his vision was for the whole world, he focused in a very small way on 12 men. And, and that is phenomenal to, to reflect on and to meditate on. Why did he do that? He, he, it says in uh, the, the book of uh, Gospel of Mark, he chose 12 men that they might be with him. And so uh, he, he invested his life in them. He invested all his time in forming and training them so that eventually they would be so deeply formed that they would lose his, their lives for him, that their witness would take them to death. And he knew that it had to be a thick discipleship to do it. And so we take our cue from Jesus that uh, we contract with the parish, uh, a pastor signs a contract with us. And then we ask the pastor for a lay person, usually, who's going to lead this movement in their community. I have a staff member, I have staff of consultants. I assign a consultant to a ministry, and that our consultant coaches the point person, the lay person that the pastor chooses to launch a movement of disciple making in his community. And it starts by that point person, that lay person, praying through a list of people that we help him or her make praying through that list of people and personally face-to-face inviting 12 people. And we don't care if 12 people do it or not. It might only be four or five people that do it, but these 12 people are invited to make a weekly commitment for three months. 
to formation and training for disciple making. And uh, it is beautiful, the response, because so many people, as, as I'm sure both of you know, are just waiting in the pews for a vision. You know, they're longing to have more tools to impact their families, their neighborhoods, their workplaces. And so the, the response rate among lay people who are personally face-to-face, eye-to-eye invited into training and formation that will help them become disciple makers is incredibly high. People are really excited to do it. And they get together for three months. Uh, you know, we don't do three years like Jesus did uh, because we think the Holy Spirit wants us to move faster <laughs> at this stage of the church, you know, but but three months is beautiful and they meet weekly for three months and they also start to meet outside of the group. Um, uh, we call it a training group that meets weekly for three months, but they meet for brunches, they meet for, you know, family nights together and they start sharing life together and experiencing deep friendship together. They pray for each other. They establish a daily prayer life in those three months. They establish a more regular uh, longing for the sacraments in those three months. Uh, many of them grow in, in their devotion to the Blessed Mother during that, that three months. The Holy Spirit leads them into a level of maturity spiritually in their interior lives and in discipleship such that after three months they can start pouring their life out for others to make disciples in their circles of influence and so that's that's our process and then once once those that initial training group is launched then the point person immediately starts praying about more people from the parish in the pews that can be invited into the next training group that they're going to launch so we just keep running these training groups in a parish until and our goal is that everybody sitting in a pew on sunday has been equipped to be a disciple maker in the world so you know i love the fact that part of your training is developing prayer life and sacramental life because that's key i mean um just in my own formation um, and also my experience with people in a parish. I've worked in parish life. I've also uh, worked in religious orders, served. Uh, but prayer mm-hmm. is fundamental. It's like the iceberg. The iceberg, you see the top. Under it has to be deep. And it's yeah. through prayer. That is key. That's another thing that actually jumped out at me when I was like reading like about your organization. I think that's key. But I'm, I'm going to say this, though, and this is my own experience. I've taught RCIA. I've done Bible studies. I've come across people in the American Catholic Church that want to change the church, but not in the way the church wants it. Mm-hmm. And like when I have taught like and I'm interested in that, like we have to form people You see, and I'll be honest with you, this is the beauty of the Catholic Church. It's all written down. Listen, I'm a compliance guy. Follow the document. Follow the document. And and I'm going to be honest with you, Jason. Don't write it down if you're not going to follow it. Follow the document. I always say this when I've taught. Catholicism is painting by numbers. It has 2,000 years of track records of success. Christ says, stick to the vine. I've encountered people both on the right and the left who want to, it's like, you're more Catholic than the Pope. And then you got someone else who's coming up with some other crazy idea. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's just follow the document. Let's do what the church teaches. And then we're going to bear fruit. And that comes through prayer. And I love that. What are your thoughts on that? And have you experienced that or seen that? Because I have. Yes, yes. Well, I I think there's a huge emphasis in the church um, in many, many uh, quarters uh, to running programs. You know, we're, we're, we're desperate to turn things around. We're, you know, and we should be the the studies are, are saddening. The levels of faith in our pews are saddening. And we want to turn it around fast. And so we want to we want to run programs. And, and well, one thing we talk about is a heresy of involvement, that a lot of, lot of pastoral leaders think involvement is going to save the church, is going to save people's life. And uh, it's just not, it's not the case. So we have, to, we have to pull people out of that heresy into something thicker. Jason, we're going to come right back to that because we want you to segue from that. We got to have to take a break. Segue from that, obviously, into uh, what Joe was asking about, of course, the need for prayer, sacramental life on a daily basis, um, all of it. So fascinating conversation. Jason Simon joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. It's radio. We got to take a break. There's nothing we can do about it, okay? But Jason is the evangelical Catholic. This is a great conversation. This is an informative and important conversation for lay Catholics to hear. So afterwards, when you get the, when you download 
download the app, then you can spread this conversation with uh, with all your friends out there, okay? Because this is great stuff. So you're listening to us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello in the breach on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. We have another full segment with Jason Simon. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with Jason Simon, who is the president of the Evangelical Catholic. Now, before the break, Jason, uh, Joe asked you about uh, the need for the prayer and the sacraments. You mentioned the heresy. Was it the heresy of involvement? Yes. Okay. Can can we pick up there? And uh, yeah. for all of those just joining us, what is that again? And then please, if you would, segue into the need, the centrality of prayer in our lives. Yes. So the heresy of involvement just says uh, that uh, we need to get more people involved in the parish. And uh, that that is going to turn things around in our church, uh, that if we get them more involved, they're going to they're going to become believers. Uh, they're going to start changing the world. Their families are going to be better. Uh, and, and the heresy of involvement is is not going to do it uh, because people do not start praying because they get involved. And that's the reason why it doesn't work. Uh, precisely that. Jesus says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. How do you remain in Jesus? It's, it's with prayer. It's through uh, a greater uh, and more frequent engagement with the sacraments. And that kind of, that kind of uh, interior life doesn't come through a video series. I need somebody to show me how to pray. I need to experience prayer. I need to experience what it's like to meditate on scripture. I need to experience what it's like to pray a prayerful rosary where I'm not just marching through the beads in a rote, brainless way, uh, just to like, just to finish it. Somebody's got to show me how to do that. And so that's why, that's why prayer is, 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 is so important uh, because prayer takes it from mere, mere involvement in religious activity to, to it, it takes over my whole heart. And now when I have prayer, I'm able to withstand rejection uh, in my life. I'm able to, to withstand success in my life without attributing it to myself and getting puffed up with pride. Prayer is the ultimate protector for anybody engaging in mission in the world. You need prayer. Otherwise, you will blame yourself when you fail. And you'll give credit to yourself when you succeed. And you just have to stay in that, in that beautiful center of dependence on the Lord. And only prayer can keep you there. So, uh, so yeah, it has to, we have to help lay people and priests uh, and, and leaders in the church have a thick uh, conception of prayer so that, uh, so that they're not um, pummeled by the waves and they're, they're not building their house on the, the sand uh, that's going to get washed away when the storms come. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jason Simon. I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I've been thinking a lot recently. I forgot who we interviewed recently. I brought up uh, Moses uh, in, in prayer, uh, raising up his staff to God. Um, I forgot. I guess it was the battle with the Am Amalekites or, or Amalekites. And um, he was faltering. He got started to get tired. His, his, yeah. his, his arms started to drop and his friends propped up. I guess Aaron was one of them, propped up his arms. He started to pray and the battle started when his arms were failing. 
When his prayer was failing, the battle was going against the Israelites, all right? But when he began to pray and his arms were outstretched again, the battle goes in your favor. And the reason why I bring that up is I've been experienced that a lot in my life. I can't tell you or anybody else, um, uh, uh, you know, I can't demonstrate for you the ways in which prayer has been beneficial. I know that it has, but here's one thing I do know. When I fail in prayer, the spiritual battle goes against me. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I know, solid as a rock, as I know my own name, is that the, the spiritual battle I'm losing when I am not raised, when my arms are not raised in the air in prayer to God on a daily basis, because the attack is on a daily basis, okay? Um, and, and that's why you mentioned the sacraments, you mentioned prayer. Without them, I speak for myself. I'm toast. I'm yeah, toast. Teresa of Avila said that if you're not praying, it's like going into battle with one arm tied, tied behind your back. So it's, it's the same message as, as you're saying. Um, you know, the thing about it is, it's not like uh, if, if we don't pray, uh, then, then the Lord's not going to reward us with fruitfulness. It's that if we pray, then, w- then our minds and our hearts become tuned in to the voice of the Holy Spirit, who knows how we should impact the world. He knows how we should use our gifts. He knows which people to invite. Uh, he knows what our mission should be so that we can be victorious. And if we're if we're going into the world without prayer, we're just guessing. We're like, oh, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. And But if we go in with prayer, uh, Jesus promises that my sheep hear my voice. And so he's able to direct us, to direct our hearts, direct our desires, direct our passions in the place where we can be most fruitful. And so if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of us with our families, with our coworkers, uh, in our neighborhoods, banging our head against the wall because nothing seems to be happening. And a lot of times what, what needs to happen is, is for us to spend more time in prayer, uh, less time in action, you know, to discern where does the Lord want us to go and, and what is he really calling us to? Absolutely. Jason Simon joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, we are way in the breach. Jason is the founder of the Evangelical Catholic, and that's what we're talking about today. Joe Resinello. We talked about disciples. We talked about carrying a cross. Obviously, disciples love, and they love radically, but disciples are obedient. And I think something uh, that catches the eye of, of modern man is obedience to christ in his church when it makes no sense Mm -hmm. like let's be honest go to a party jason and say that you don't contracept Mm -hmm. educated people they'll think you're a knuckle dragging caveman and that's the god's honest truth you go or or stupid or or you're an idiot you go to a party anywhere from hawaii to maine yeah educated people where did you go to school? Oh, went here, University of Wisconsin. Oh, went to Notre Dame, went to Tulane, went to Columbia, blah, 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 blah. I don't contracept. What? What? I mean, that shows something. You have six kids. And I'll tell you this. I've done a lot of things for the church. When I walk up the aisle dragging my kids, they're all over me carrying a baby carriage. I look, my shirt's all over the place. People look at you, and I'll be honest with you, they're just like, they can't believe it. That speaks. You see, we need people to do things that in a sense don't make sense. Talk about that because that's obedience. You see, think about what Jesus did. He went to the cross. Did that make sense? Pilate was like, listen, I'm giving you an out. I'm giving you an out. Take it. He's like, no, I'm not taking it. I laid down my life. This is what we need. Yeah. And, 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 and not enough, I think people are willing to do that because that's where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to be truthful with you. I think this is where we have to, that's where people's eyes pop out of their head. And they're like, Jason's serious. He left his engineering job. He's got six kids. He's serious. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this guy is not playing games. Jason, comment on that. Comment on that. If you would. Yeah, uh, one, of, one of the things, we have an illustration that we use, and it's a wheel, and it has, it has Jesus and the sacraments at the center of the wheel, uh, and that's the hub, that's where all the power comes from on the wheel, uh, but on the rim of the wheel is obedience, and this, this actually comes from the navigators, 
Um, and then a, an organization called the Mayus Journey is a Catholic organization. They Catholicized it. Uh, we love it because obedience is the rim of the wheel. And it's what it's, it's how the power from the hub gets transferred into motion. And if you don't have obedience in discipleship, you just come to a standstill. Uh, you know, if I don't, if I don't have obedience, even in the small things of life, and I, I love the examples you use, Joe, and it's really true. Uh, but even just, you know, I, I, I get in a fight with my wife after dinner and I go, I go lay in bed in a huff and I'm laying in bed and I'm doing my, my examine, uh, you know, and, and then I feel the Lord saying, go apologize to your wife. And the last thing I want to do is, is get out of bed and go find my wife and humble myself and apologize to her. I mean, this has happened with my kids as well. Like, and in, in my morning prayer time, the Lord, I feel him putting on my heart, you know, you shouldn't have treated your, your son or daughter that way. Go apologize to them. And uh, to walk in that kind of obedience and to lay your life down in the small things, I think then you experience the fruitfulness of it. You experience the, the joy of the Lord in that humility and following him in that little cross, taking up that little cross and saying, sorry. And it does, it does translate into a faith and a belief in the church that um, when I, when I, when I bring myself under the obedience of the church, I bring myself under obedience to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that the church is always right. Uh, you know, that the church is always going to have the perfect counsel for me uh, in each different situation. That's not the point. I, I think the church is right, but it's not even the point. The point is that if I offer myself in obedience to the church, I offer myself in obedience to Jesus and it pleases him. And, and so I, I think that the obedience is the way to, um, to share in the sufferings of Jesus, that Jesus was obedient to the Father. He said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. <laughs> like Jesus laid his human will down and, followed, and made himself obedient. It says in the book of Philippians, Philippians 2, that he became obedient to death. Obedient unto death. Even Jesus had to bring himself to obedience to the Father, obedience to the path of death. And, and so what a joy when we can bring ourselves into harmony with that rhythm of Jesus's life. And, and then he can make us heroes. Then he can make us heroes for somebody. Uh, I, I have encountered God's grace in such beautiful, rich ways, um, mostly because I'm a prideful father and, and husband, mostly in those small little apologies. Some of them rip, rip my guts out because I don't want to, I don't want to apologize. I feel like, I feel like you were a jerk to me and I'm, I'm not going to say sorry for my disrespect, but to, to, to watch grace stream into those moments in my family by laying down my selfish pride and, and coming under obedience to, to Jesus uh, uniting myself with with his suffering uh, in just a small way, I, I experience his grace. And, and St. Paul calls it in Philippians 3, sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. So whenever we, we obey, whenever we come under obedience, uh, we there's a fellowship with Jesus in the suffering of that obedience. And, and so, yeah, if I found that in the church's teaching on, on contraception many times, that's, that's what gets me through every month. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just a beautiful way to unite myself uh, with his sufferings in a small way. Absolutely. Jason Simon joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I'm so happy we're talking about obedience. You want to know why? Because in my view, that's, that's our central problem in, in, in the church. That's why, again, I could be wrong, or at least one of the central problems, because you have, you know, I, I hate to use words like left and right, but let's just use those for a second for the purpose of conversation. Um, the more on the left, it's like they don't want to be obedient to the magisterium. They don't listen. Joe mentioned contraception earlier, okay? Like, give me Catholics, the brains pop out of their head. Catholics, when you mention contraception. But then everything that the church does, you know, for the right, anything the church does that doesn't cor let's correspond to 2,000 years of history, even the smallest change, oh, we can't do that. Well, wait a minute. The church said you could. Right. Who are you? Joe mentions it all the time in the show. Who made you the church to say you're not going to allow that or that's not authentic Catholicism? Okay. There, we know about some of the men in the church. We know that there's problems in the church. There's no question about it. All right. Our job is to be obedient and trust the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay. We all know the story from the Bible, Jason. The weeds grow with the tares or, or, or with the wheat. Okay. Yeah. 
They're there. We know that. We get it. Joe brings up Padre Pio all the time. Who was more unjustly treated than Padre Pio? He was obedient, and he, at the end of the day, was vindicated. That's what we have to be. And a lot of division in the church, in my view, will go away. Joe Rosanello. No, I, I want to talk, too, because it's so important. I think especially amongst, the, you know, the church is universal. It's all over the world. And most people who are Catholic are very simple. I've met them in my life. I've met them. Um, I've gone to mass in Vietnam. I've gone to mass in Cambodia. I've gone to mass in India. I've gone to mass in Haiti. I mean, there are illiterate people who many illiterate people look at the church universally, Africa, obedient, Germany, not obedient. Why? Why is that? Many times it's our hubris. And I think of the story yeah. in scripture. One, I've learned this myself. My way doesn't work. I've tried it, Jason. It doesn't work. I'll, I'll look God's, my way doesn't work. I trust God. I always think of the story of when they're in the boat. These are fishermen. Christ was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. Peter was probably older and based upon his bones, he was probably strong as a bull. They didn't have like modern fishing. He's pulling in nets. The guy was probably an ox in plain English. And here's Jesus. He's like, throw the net over the other side. And he's like, you know, you're a carpenter. I worked all night and I'm tired. And you want me to do this? All right. Okay. Because you said it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then look what he got. When we do that, we bear fruit. Mm -hmm. You see, we're afraid. People are afraid. We have to have that trust like Peter. Peter, who's just like, no, I'm a car. This is what I do. But you're telling me to do something different. I'm going to do it because you're God, and I trust you. Hmm. There lies the power of the church. When people make that decision to live on that edge, you shake the world. Yeah. Talk about that, because I'm sure you've seen it, to be honest with you. I've seen it in small ways, you know, I, I, you know, but I've seen it in certain religious orders and with certain people, and you're just like, Oh, my gosh. That's where it's traffic stops. Jason, your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was just um, I was just with some lay people that we had trained in Ohio. I went down there just to see how things were uh, feeling there. I was in Cleveland, and uh, we had never worked in Cleveland before, so I was just curious to get in touch with the church a little bit down there and just the people that we were training. And um, a couple couple stories came out down there that I just I just loved. Uh, one was a guy that we he went through a training group for the three months, uh, grew in his prayer life and started to hear the voice of the Lord. And oftentimes we ask people to consider leading a small group in their neighborhood or their workplace and inviting people in because it's a great place to share the gospel. He is a he was a um, a pilot for an airline and did not feel called to do that because he travels a lot. Uh, but the, the Holy Spirit started calling him to, to be more intentional in his conversations with his co-pilots. Um, and, you know, that can be very awkward. Uh, that, that takes a huge risk to go out on a limb like that and, and ask probing questions and look for opportunities to share the gospel, but he's doing it. And, and it's bearing great fruit already in, in the, in the way he's able to bring uh, his faith in Jesus into those conversations. And another woman uh, felt the Lord calling her to a very simple task of uh, leading her mother through um, weekly reflections on the Gospels during during Lent. Um, but during that time, she was inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit to look to launch a small group in a nursing home. And I, I just think these little invitations to obedience, like you're saying, Joe, you know, these are these are the yeses that change the world. That that feel awkward. It feels like you're going on the end of a very thin branch that's going to break and fall, and you don't know what's at the bottom, uh, but because Jesus tells you to do it, you do it, and you bear fruit doing that. Uh, in my own story, uh, I, I when I became, so before I was Catholic, I was reading the catechism to try to argue my, my Catholic girlfriend out of the Catholic faith, and I would write arguments uh, at, at um, what, what I read in the catechism, like, as if, you know, me as a, as a, 
as aspiring engineer and knew better than St. Augustine, <laughs> and, you know, just like arguing with Augustine and arguing with Aquinas and, oh yeah, this is so silly. And I thought the popes were the problem. Uh, I read uh, Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn and I started to realize, well, maybe the popes are a gift and um, just slowly grew in, in appreciation for the magisterium. When I became Catholic, I, I, I still thought all the Marian doctrine of the Catholic church was nuts. And, uh, and, uh, but I trusted Jesus uh, in the church to lead me to truth. And over time he has, he's used, he's used the church and the teachings of the church to draw me into that truth. If I never would have said yes to Jesus to become Catholic, I wouldn't have been able to be drawn into the riches of the church. And so at a certain point, he asks you to do hard things. Uh, he asks you to do things that are a stretch. Uh, where, where it feels like there's darkness in the other side of the decision. Um, there have been times when I, I haven't done it, uh, where, where I said no. And, and, you, and you walk with regret because uh, those things may not get done without, without us if we don't obey in the moment. Um, but then the, the times when I have said yes have been full of grace. And, and I see it in people as well. I love, I love hearing stories of people responding to that invitation in radical um, courageous ways, uh, even, even small things. You know, I just wanted what you're talking about, like made me think of something in my own life. Um, as I got married later in life and, uh, I did a lot of backpacking and I met the missionaries of charity in Cambodia. I backpacked through Cambodia. Uh, it's where I first met them. And, uh, I was writing letters back and forth with them and they encouraged me to go to India. So I went and, I got sick. I was by myself. I'm in a, a room for two days. I got dysentery. I have a fever and I'm lying in a room. I'm 6,000 miles away. And I'm like, how am I going to get home? <laughs> I am going to die here. And all that I kept thinking to myself is God didn't bring me here to kill me. Mm -hmm. And I got through it. You see, God is not here to grind us into the dirt. Like when he calls you to do something, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> but at the same time, trust him. Like, yeah. like, and, and like, just like you're talking about, like with this gentleman inviting people, that's hard. That's not easy. That's awkward. People laugh at you. They think you're crazy that, you know, you'll lose friends. You might lose professional, like, like, but God will use that. He's not there to, to crush you. People think that. I did it for a little while. I got through it. Um, scared the heck out of me, though. I'll be truthful with you. Um, but talk about that, because I think like there's this idea. I mean, here you are. You're building disciples. People think that like you're giving something up. Like I'm giving up this, this life we, we God gives you a life, mm -hmm. a wonderful life. Every time we go to confession, we have good marriages because of God. We have families. Gosh, you have six children. You're so blessed. You're so blessed. If you kept that job, you might not have had six children. You would have had two, maybe children. That's what most people do like that, that run big companies. They have two kids and they have 17 cars in a boat. You know what I mean? Like, so I mean, talk about that, like how the fullness of life comes to you when you make that decision to be a disciple. I'm sure you've encountered that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, one of the one of my favorite passages of the Bible is um, is in Matthew 28, right before the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And and that that um, passage, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I think he must have said it a couple of times because that's Matthew. And then Luke in the book of Acts. Um, tells his disciples to stay in Jerusalem. Uh, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the world. And so with, with this call in our life toward uh, to, to live lives of holiness uh, in, and to mission in the world comes all authority, comes the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, I, since I've been working to walk in mission, I've never been bored 
in my Christian life. It's never been boring. I'm a guy who, who gets bored. I, I grew up uh, in a great Christian home, but at a certain point I got bored, which is why I left and I, and I flirted with darkness for many years. Uh, but since I've come back and I've been engaged in uh, pursuing the Lord, but also uh, working to say yes to him in obedience to mission in the world. Since I've been doing that, I think when you put yourself on the edge, like you're talking about, the edge of, of the unknown, the edge of mission, the edge of obedience, when you put yourself on that edge, that's when he gives you power. And that's when you experience all authority in heaven and earth being given to you because you're moving with the mission of the church at those moments. You're not just, you know, living your life of discipleship in a bubble. When you go out on the edge of mission in the world, you're taking up your post in the world. That is where you're called to be. That's where you are a general. <laughs> you're not a little, you're not a little um, uh, enlisted soldier with no authority. You are a general, a five-star general for the Lord. All authority in heaven and earth is given to you as a layperson to say yes to that moment, to share the gospel with that fellow airline pilot, to lead the small group in the nursing home because the Lord called you to take up your post there. And, and when you do that, you're a general. And I've experienced that kind of power, uh, you know, with with people when when it feels like even in a conversation there, they start to share something with me and I have no idea how to respond. And I, I feel my heart pumping. I know the Lord wants me to say something. I have no idea what to say, but comes to my mind that Jesus said, do not worry about what you will say when you appear before the authorities, the words will be given to you. And in those moments, when I say, come Holy Spirit, when in those moments of, of I, I just don't feel like I have anything to give to what this person's telling me, sharing with me, uh, what I'm being called to do. I say, come Holy Spirit, I trust you to give me the words. And, and he oftentimes does it. I feel a surge of love for this person. And when I open my mouth, I, I feel inspired with words. The, the, the exact words aren't given to me like reading off a script, but it's like it's bubbling up from me, from my prayer life, and from, from the power of the Holy Spirit within me that we've all been given in baptism and confirmation. We've all been given that power. We're all five-star generals on, on, the, on, on our posts in mission. And so, yeah, I think that, but we don't experience that if we don't put ourselves on the edge if we don't bring ourselves to that place where he's calling us, uh, where, where the other side is the unknown, you know, uh, we appear before the authorities. St. Paul had no idea what he was going to say uh, to King Agrippa, you know, but when he started speaking, it came, it came and it had great effect to the audience that was there and to the king himself. And the same thing, the same power happens in us. Uh, as we sh we share in that authority from Jesus. And you're right. And what you're doing is building saints. You're saint makers. You see, you know, like a lot of it, it's basically in your mission statement. People just think like it's it's priests. No, if you yeah. read about saints, there's a lot of people, lay people. I, I think of St. Isidore, the farmer in mm. Spain. What did Saint he do? St. Francis. Saint, you know, I, Francis, like, to be honest with you, an amazing dude. No question about it. I mean, Isidore was a laborer. He went to church in the morning. He prayed. He shared his money with the poor. He's a saint. Yeah. Like, like he grasped what God gave him at baptism. That's what you're doing. That's what your organization's doing. That's what we're all called to do. And it's there. You know, I, I'll tell you, Jason, people like sometimes must listen to Joanna. They're like, they're too crazy. People. They're crazy. You well, know they're right about that. <laughs> That's true. They're right, they're right but about I mean, that, like, Joe. Joe, you can't no, fault it for that, Joe. <laughs> there's no different. I'm no different than anybody else. I have like, I'm telling you, like, and, and same with you, you know, like you're no, you just said yes. Joe, let me let me cut you off. I, uh, Jason, I want to give you just a final minute and a half or so to comment on that. Also, how pastors can hook up with the evangelical Catholic, okay, where they can find out more about you. Do a, and I know that's a lot, but I'm throwing it on your shoulders, and you got about a minute and a, uh, a minute and a half. Great. Well, um, yeah, I, uh, Saint Therese of Lisieux uh, said, "God doesn't invite us to anything that He doesn't give us grace for," and she found great comfort in that. That she was, she felt called to aspire to great sainthood, uh, but felt so small. And her favorite verse, uh, one of her favorite verses, was from Psalm 103, that that says. Um, 
for you know how we are formed. You remember that we are dust. And she loved that, that he knew that she was dust. And yet he was going to give her the power to aspire and to achieve great holiness because, because he had given her that desire. And, and so I think that's right, that, um, that all of us are called to something great. Uh, and, he, and he's going to give us the grace to, to do that. My power is perfected in weakness. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I love that, Joe. I totally agree. Um, uh, we love working with pastors. We love working with directors of campus ministries. We're working on 12 military bases. We work anywhere uh, where there is a pastoral leader who wants to equip lay people to go into the world and make disciples. And if you're interested in working with us, the best thing to do is to connect with our website, uh, evangelicalcatholic.org. And on there, there are a lot of buttons that say you want to connect with us. And our staff is uh, very good about following up with those, those inquiries. Uh, I have uh, four staff members, all they do all day long is talk to priests about the need to equip lay people as disciple makers. So they'll love to talk with you if you click in. Well, thank you for that, Jason Simon. Thank you for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. God bless you, brother, and everything you're doing. So like I said, you know, anybody listening to this, when you get the podcast from Veritas Catholic Network, share it with your friends. This is great. This is what we're supposed to be doing. That's why Joe and I are here, to bring up people like Jason who are showing us, hey, guys, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're Catholic. Jason Simon, thanks again. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. 1350 on your AM dial. 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.